I invite you to open your Bible or one of the few Bibles for the reading of Scripture that comes from Matthew chapter 17 as we continue the mini-series, Glimpses of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. We pick up today at that point at which we left off from last Sunday. Let's ask the Lord to bless the reading and hearing of his holy word. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have spoken to us through your Son, Jesus Christ, and you continue to speak to us in accordance with his truth and righteousness by your Spirit in the word of Scripture. But we pray that you will grant to us your Holy Spirit to open our minds and to open our hearts, that we might not only understand but also believe and respond to the word of the gospel, to the glory of your name through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The gospel of Matthew, chapter 17, let us hear the word of God. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God and to his name be all praise, honor, glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen. But who do you say that I am? Jesus' question Recorded in last Sunday's passage from Matthew 16 is the question which Jesus asked his disciples at the turning point of his ministry. And it is the question which Jesus asks us at the turning point in our lives. But who do you say that I am? That's where we left off last Sunday, and it's important for us to see the connection between last Sunday's passage and the conclusion of Matthew 16 and the reading for today from Matthew 17. After Peter's confession of faith in Jesus as the Christ, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus then began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. 
Peter could not tolerate that thought, and he took Jesus aside, began to rebuke him, saying, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But Jesus, you remember, gave Peter that stern rebuke and then told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus made it clear to his disciples that he was the Christ of the cross, that he would suffer and die. And therefore, those who would follow him must follow him in his way, being willing to share in his suffering and even to lose their lives for his sake. And that's a calling which might give us pause. If that is what it really takes to follow Jesus, we might really wonder whether it is really worth it after all. But as we also noted last Sunday, denying yourself and taking up the cross and following Jesus does not necessarily, does not always necessarily end in a literal physical martyrdom. Remember, Jesus calls us each and every one of us, to die every day. To die those little deaths by nailing our impulses and inclinations of pride and selfishness, me first, self-interest, nailing it to the cross. Jesus calls us to die every day, loving one another as he has loved us, which means laying down our lives putting ourselves out in self-sacrificial love for one another and humble service to one another. Jesus calls us to die those little deaths every day, loving even our enemies, turning the other cheek, returning evil with good, praying for those who persecute you, doing unto others as you would have them do to you. Jesus calls us to die every day. Husbands are called to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Which means that husbands are called to deny themselves and take up the cross and follow Jesus and die every day in self-sacrificial love, humble service. To their wives. Wives are called likewise. To deny themselves. Take up the cross and follow Jesus. By respecting their husbands. And voluntarily. Submitting themselves to their husbands. As to the Lord. And, and all of us. Each and every one of us. Is called to put to death. Put to death. Says the scripture. Put to death. Whatever is of the sinful nature. Sexual immorality in us, impurity, evil desire, covetousness, hatred, selfish ambition, jealousy, envy, and things such as these. This is the word of the Lord in Paul's letter to the Colossians and to the Galatians. Put it to death. Die daily, nailing those sinful inclinations to the cross. You see, Jesus calls us to die every day for his sake. So that his life can be seen in us. There it is. There it is. Jesus calls us to die every day. 
so that his life, his life, can be seen in us. And, and C.S. Lewis, a, a wise Christian author, wrote this. Die before you die. There is no chance after. Die before you die. There is no chance after. The call to discipleship, the call to follow the Christ of the cross might cause us to pause, might cause us to wonder if it's really worth it after all. Jesus understood that. And therefore, after he had called them to take up the cross and follow him, Jesus then gave them a glimpse of the glory that is yet to be revealed. The glory on the other side, the glory beyond the cross. Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the inner circle of the disciples, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. Throughout the Bible, very significant events happen on mountains. God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses on Mount Sinai. The Lord won a great victory through the prophet Elijah on Mount Carmel. And on the mountain in this passage, a revelatory event took place. Jesus was transformed, transfigured, metamorphosized is the Greek word, changed before their very eyes. There on that mountain, the veil between heaven and earth, the veil between time and eternity, the veil was pulled away and the glory of the Son of God was revealed. Jesus' clothes began to shine, glistening, gleaming as white as snow. Matthew tells us that Jesus' face shone like the sun. Jesus' uh, appearance, his unblemished purity, his, it was a, was a figure, a display, a, a visual image of his perfect righteousness, his heavenly holiness. Heaven's radiant light not only shined upon Jesus, but emanated from within him. His whole body was filled with the glory of the presence of God. Peter, James, and John saw the brilliant radiance of God's glory shining on and shining in and shining through Jesus. They saw the eternal reality beyond the veil of time. They saw Jesus in his glory. The glory which he shared with his Father from before the creation of the world. The glory with which he would be glorified after his resurrection from the dead and his ascension into heaven. They saw the glory of the Messiah, the eternal glory of the Christ, who would first suffer shame and humiliation and death on a cross. You see, the transfiguration of Jesus was a visual revelation and a confirmation of that Jesus was and is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Throughout the New Testament, uh, we have the word of truth which speaks to us about who Jesus is. And we can read these passages with the, the visual image of the transfiguration as the backdrop. For example, the letter to the Hebrews says that Jesus is, quote, the radiance of the glory of God. 
the radiance of the glory of God. Peter, James, and John saw it. The transfiguration was a visual display of the truth about which the Apostle Paul wrote in his letter to the Colossians. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. They saw it. Later on, think about this. When the Apostle John wrote his gospel, that wonderful opening passage, Surely he was thinking of the transfiguration. He had to be thinking of the transfiguration when he wrote, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John was an eyewitness. We have seen his glory. And surely John was reminded of the transfiguration when later on in his life, after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension into heaven, John had that vision in which he saw into the throne room of heaven. That vision which we have recorded for us in the book of the Revelation. And in the opening chapter, John wrote that he saw Jesus in His resurrection glory. And what what did he write in Revelation chapter 1? He writes this, His face was like the sun shining in full strength. What John saw in that vision of heaven, he saw on the Mount of Transfiguration. And Peter, as an old man, wrote this. Now this is, I'm going to read somewhat of an extended passage. If you're taking notes, and I hope you're taking notes, don't turn in your Bible, but just just make a note. 2 Peter chapter 1. 16 through 18. 2 Peter chapter 1, 16 to 18. Listen to what the Apostle Peter wrote later on in his life. We, that is, the apostles, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, the voice of God the Father saying, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. There it is. Peter's direct eyewitness report. He was there. He saw it. 
and he heard it. And that's, that's Peter's way of saying to us today, by the ministry of the Holy Spirit who breathed out this word, this isn't made up. The apostles didn't make up stories about Jesus. They didn't follow myths and legends. They were eyewitnesses. And brothers and sisters, it's important to remember that the gospel of Jesus Christ, who Jesus is and what Jesus did, is not myth. It is not legend. It is based on real-time historical events for which there were multiple eyewitnesses. Eyewitnesses who were ready and willing to die and who did, in fact, die for Jesus because of what they had heard and seen in their own experience with him. Peter, James, and John saw Jesus in his transfigured glory and it was that vision of the Christ of glory which gave them the courage to follow and to die for the Christ of the cross. Do you see that connection? Now, there's even more. In this revelatory event on the mountain, Moses and Elijah appeared talking with Jesus. Now think about it. Who was Moses? The Old Testament representative of the law. The author of the first five books of the Bible. Who was Elijah? The Old Testament representative of the prophets. There they stand in some mysterious, miraculous appearance. The representatives of the will of God and the word of God. And Peter speaks up in a somewhat blundering way. It is good that we're here. Let us make three tents. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. It's a humorous moment, but the humor reveals a serious point. In the time of Moses, during the wilderness wanderings, there was a special tent called the Tent of Meeting. And Moses would go into the Tent of Meeting to meet with God, and God's presence would be signified by a cloud which would descend upon the tent. And perhaps Peter thought that Moses and Elijah and Jesus needed a tent in order to meet with God. But whatever Peter intended, he was interrupted. There's a little humor here. Matthew says, while he was still speaking, there's Peter running his mouth again. While he's still speaking, a cloud overshadowed them, signifying the presence of God. And a voice spoke from the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Now remember, just six days before, Jesus had asked his disciples, Who do the people say that I am? And then he asked them, What about you? Who do you say that I am? And now... From the glory cloud of the presence of God. The voice of God the Father answers that question. This is God's answer to that question. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And then he gave the command. Listen 
to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. They, they, they now knew that they were in the holy presence of God. The glory of God had descended upon them. The voice of God had spoken from heaven. They were terrified. They knew that they were unworthy to be in the presence of the infinite and eternal Holy One. But, says Matthew, Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. That is a beautiful, beautiful picture. It would, it would be good for you to just imagine this scene. The, the shining cloud, the voice from heaven, the disciples struck down in awe-filled fear. And then Jesus touching them and saying, have no fear. And they lifted up their eyes and saw no one but Jesus only. It's a beautiful demonstration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Although we sinful men and women are unworthy to be in the presence of God. And really ought, therefore, to be struck with terror at the very thought of being in God's holy presence. As Isaiah was when he had his vision of the holiness of God and he, and he cried out, Woe is me, I am undone. But you see, with Jesus Christ as our brother, our Savior, and our Lord, we need have no fear. The beloved Son of God welcomes us into the presence of His Father. The beloved Son of God welcomes us into the presence of His Father. For it is through Him that we have the forgiveness of our sins. When they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Now on that mountain... Moses and Elijah, remember, represented the law and the prophets, the Old Testament revelation of the Word of God and the will of God. It's, it's, it's as, as, as though Matthew is saying that the whole Bible of the Hebrew people was standing there on that mountain. But you see, Jesus is revealed as the fulfillment of all that they represented. The law and the prophets point to Jesus. The law and the prophets are fulfilled in Jesus. He is the fullness of the revelation of God. And that is the reason that the Father commands us to listen to Him. To listen to His Word as it is now given to us in the Scriptures. God the Father commands us to listen to Him. Which means to obey Jesus Christ, the beloved Son of God. This is... This is extremely significant now in its context. Think about it. Jesus had told his disciples that he would be rejected. He would suffer. He would die. As Jesus called them, he calls us. He calls us to deny ourselves. Take up the cross. Follow him in his way. Even his way of suffering and death. Pouring out our lives for his sake. Giving over our lives to him. And the question is, is it worth it? Can we trust it? 
Is Jesus really the only begotten, beloved Son of God, the Christ? You see, the voice spoke from heaven to answer those questions. The transfiguration gave the disciples a glimpse of the glory yet to be revealed. It is a vision of glory for all those who listen to Jesus, that is, who follow him in obedience to his word. So this is what it means for us. The transfiguration showed the disciples that Jesus' sufferings and death would not result in meaningless tragedy. He would be raised out of his sufferings into glory. And his sufferings would bring those who follow him into glory. The Apostle Paul wrote this very promise in Romans 8.18. Make a note. Romans 8.18. We are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, take up your cross and follow me. In order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 17 says that this slight momentary affliction, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. This slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Philippians chapter 3, 321 assures us that when Jesus comes in power and glory, listen. He will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. What the apostles saw on the Mount of Transfiguration was not only Jesus' eternal destiny, Jesus' eternal glory, it was their own and all who follow him. Do you see? His destiny is our destiny. He died for us so that we might share in His eternal glory. Is it worth it to follow Him? Is it worth it to take up the cross? Is it worth it to die every day? It's worth it. It's worth it. Because He has called us to share In his eternal glory. Why does the New Testament make such strange and bold statements? For example, we rejoice in our sufferings. Romans 5, 3. We rejoice in our sufferings. Why does the New Testament call us to consider it all joy when we face fiery trials? The answer is that for those who deny themselves, take up their cross, die daily, and follow Jesus in His way, there is a glory, an eternal glory beyond the cross. There is a glory yet to be revealed to those who follow Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, don't ever exchange that eternal glory 
for the dim lights of this world. Never be deceived into believing that this world is all there is. Never become so distracted by the dazzling allurements of this world that you lose sight of that unspeakable glory which awaits those who follow Jesus in His way. Never become so discouraged that you turn away and not follow Him. When you are heavily burdened, when you are tired, when you are grieving, when you are suffering heartache, when you are suffering injustice, when you are suffering the wounds that come from following Christ in this fallen world, fix your eyes on Jesus who suffered and died to bring you to glory. And follow Jesus in the assurance that the way of the cross is the only way to glory. The Christ of the cross is the Christ of glory. Follow the Christ of the cross into the glory beyond the cross. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, for your goodness, your love, and your mercy, we give you thanks. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would strengthen us so that indeed, with joy, we might deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. To the glory of your name, amen.